Welcome to Life, Death, Sci-Fi. I'm Chris, and I'm joined by Man A. A. Haman, who has Einstein on toast and drinks a pint of Schrodinger's blood for breakfast. A Haman who can exploit the less observed properties of solar radiation. A Haman who slays Hanakra in his spare time. A Haman who can see Eldeals on Mars and Earth, perhaps. How you doing, Eric? Hey, Chris. So good to be here. Out of the silent planet, a space trilogy. This is book one by C.S. Lewis, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe guy. I just love his name, Clive. I, 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 I never looked it up before, uh, although I'd read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But I've actually read Mere Christianity and... Screw tape letters, although it's probably been 20 years. Never realized his name was Clive Staples. It's a great name. Yeah. Okay. When we started season two, science fiction about Mars, historically. Yeah, I like our approach so far that's chronological. It's been tough because we don't have that perspective. It wasn't history then, it was C.S. Lewis writing about out of the silent planet and what he thought Mars would be like to visit. How does our protagonist arrive at Mars? I got this. Okay, this is just a simple kidnap, an escape, a journey. That was one of my favorite parts, the journey. And the first contact story with alien beings I'm yeah, I, I enjoyed, yeah, so Ransom, the protagonist, right? It's a bit on the nose, right? The guy's kidnapped and his name is Ransom. And there's this Divine and Weston. And Ransom, our protagonist, is out for a long walkabout in the British countryside and ends up at this cottage and he hears them, some sort of scuffle, right? Or wrestling about, sort of an argument. And they're trying to kidnap this sort of local boy who was helping them out. It sounds like, he, I think he'd been there once before. Mm-hmm. And they put him in this spaceship and they're bringing him up. I, I never totally understood what they were intending to do other than it seems like they wanted to trade. Yes. As a sort well, of- I think through misunderstanding of the Martian language, they thought that the Martians wanted a hostage or a human to do stuff with or I don't know right. what. But... They made this all up in their head about why Martians would need a human. It just wasn't going to be them. So they needed to get somebody to go back. Oh, and I forgot, along with the kidnapping and everything, the ransom is the treasure that's just laying around on the ground. They, You mean on, on Mars? Mars, or yes. Malacandra, as they call it. Is that the sun's blood? It's some sort of, some kind of golden material, right? It's like gold. They reference this sun's blood a number of times. It's going to make them rich if they can put enough in their spaceship and return to Earth. Yeah, that's what Divine and Weston are are after. They're looking at expanding the human race, right? To sort of conquer the universe. Okay, yeah. And uh, tell us about that. This this gold, this sun's blood. And so you enjoy the journey up to... Malacandra. I, I did as well. I thought that was interesting. There was some, some tension there, some excitement, I think, as locked him away in this spaceship that in order to absorb the this homemade, another homemade ship. Football. 
yeah. the shape of a football. Yeah. I like the, the idea that people are constructing these spaceships in their backyards. I think that's fun. I mean, hey, there was a yeah. guy, a, a flat earther, right? Remember him? He built a spaceship just recently in his backyard. Oh, is that right? I didn't hear about huh. that. Didn't end, I don't think. Yeah, maybe at some point in the future, that's that could be more of a reality. A cool ship, right? In that it, it has these sort of, it's rotating with these panels. It's almost, it's always spinning. And the center is what the center is fixed. And then the outer layers spinning to absorb sunlight. It's like solar powered. What was the idea? All right, well, what did you, did you enjoy the description of Mars? Once we got to Mars and our hero escapes, he starts on his journey. And I think what's happening here is the lines on Mars have become biospheres. The atmosphere of Mars is gone, leaving the bones of the species that was there before. And now the atmosphere is settled into these cracks and crevices. And there, all of this life erupts. And this is what our hero, Ransom, he's moving, trying to get away from his captors, but then he falls into the hands of the Martians and finds out what Martians are like. I liked the some of the world building here. Yeah, I pulled a few lines. I enjoyed the description of the flora and, and the and the fauna. I like the attempts to make it seem like it's so it's otherworldly. It's non-terrestrial. You, you can tell that it's somebody trying to describe it to someone who who hasn't been there. So we get uh, a few lines. Yeah, his two hands on the soil of Malacandra. The pink stuff was soft and faintly resilient, like India rubber, clearly vegetation. Instantly, Ransom looked up. He saw a pale blue sky, a fine winter morning sky. It would have been on a great billowy, cumular mass of rose color, lower down, which he took for a cloud. Later, he's, he's talking, talking about this tree. It looked like a giant red cauliflower or like a huge bowl of red soap spuds. And it was exquisitely beautiful in tint and shape. The soap suds got me. I like that. Yeah. And it was a few more, a couple more. Uh, the purple stuff was vegetation. More precisely, it was vegetables, right? Vegetables about twice the size, about twice the height of English elms, but apparently soft and flimmy. I think it's flimmy, flimmy or filmy, maybe type of it. The stalks, one could hardly call them trunks, rose smooth and round and surprisingly thin for about 40 feet. Above that, the huge plants opened into a sheaf-like development, not of branches, but of leaves large as lifeboats, but nearly transparent. Yeah, I enjoyed that. One more here. The, there were lettuce-like plants about the height of a terrestrial birch tree, where one of these overhung the warmth of water, you could step into one of the lower leaves and lie deliciously as in a gently moving, fragrant hammock. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could spend a little time in that world, right? It sounds, yeah, it sounds uh, amazing. And in some ways, maybe it looks a bit like, uh, is there sort of a Dr. Seuss feel to it? Or it reminds me a bit of Calvin and Hobbes, mm -hmm. Spaceman Spiff, right? There's a bit oh, of that. Oh, man. 
Spaceman Spiff. You were saying, so we get, yeah, he works through this. Actually, the other place before we talk characters, I, I, the old forest, right, of Malakai. You, you mentioned that with the bones of ancient creatures. If I were creating some fan fiction, I think I, you can tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna be, you're not going to be reading books two and three, are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I like C.S. Lewis. Uh, I love Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. I'd, Maybe set something in the old forest. I think yeah. that would be a, a yeah. really the cool place. Archaeologist in me wants to investigate. Maybe that happens in part two or three. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but this just wasn't my thing. Yeah, I, I, there were moments of it that I, I liked. I think let's. Yeah, we can maybe as a transition to characters. I, I found some of the characters a little more interesting. We can get to that, but plot wise, I don't think it really worked for either of us. Well, okay. I'm going to get into my little rant about philosophy right, being dumped on the reader as an audience for this book. I didn't see that coming. And it really bothered me because uh, here I'm reading this book and now I'm introduced to this philosophy. I think it's happening in subtle ways. And there were a few places in the book where I just went, meh, what? I... And then I thought, is this specific to the historical period where people include their philosophies, this kind of stuff in novels to get out to the people because they didn't have TV, social media, that kind of stuff. But no, I was thinking that there are some current day examples of this with Ayn Rand's anthem and the foundation has this mega philosophy that, you know, is dumped on you in, in the books. And then what's the other one? The Scientology guy. Oh, Hubbard um, or something. Battleship Earth, I think. Battleship Earth. And John Travolta was in that, one of the aliens in Battleship Earth. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be a great thing. And mm -mm, no, you get Scientology there and you're going, what? So I don't know. So what are we getting here? It's trying to try to, I don't know if it quite works as an allegory, but certainly Lewis, he says as much, he has an agenda of trying to, I guess, disseminate or share Christianity, right? Or some aspect of Christianity, the idea that there's some all-powerful, omniscient figure. Angels, all-powerful. Yeah, these, yeah. Yeah, these things. He was trying to hide, create a story here, a science fiction story that would also portray Christianity, right? Yeah. Now, the last two books we read, Russians, they had their socialist agenda, not a religious one. Yeah, I, we looked at uh, Ayelita and Red Star. Similar. I think they did a little more plot-wise, probably, than Lewis has done here. Red Star wasn't a love story, was it? But Alita and Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, Princess of Mars. Princess of Mars love stories. That made right. it better for me, really, a love story. I did have me wondering if he was going to fall in love with Hyoi, that Hirosa, the first creature mm -hmm. he meets. They were really good buddies. More of a bromance. A bromance. A bromance. <laughs> Mentor yeah. for Mars and Martians. His guide. 
there is a, a sort of hero's journey here. It's not action-packed. It's not the most exciting of plots, right? It's not really filled with a whole lot of tension. There's a few moments here or there. It just doesn't move. It doesn't have a kind of a pacing. In some ways, it seems like it's meant to be this adventure, this sort of adventure mm -hmm. in space. It's missing all these other aspects of an adventure. And yet, when I thought about the hero's journey in this story, it does have all of those elements. Like you just mentioned this mentor, right? You have these mentor figures. He's got some people that help him along the way. He does eventually return to where he started. He's changed through the process. He has yeah. a, yes. a sort of a near-death experience and an almost rebirth. Actually, the rain, spoiler again, but the rain landing on his spaceship as it returns to Earth, water is a symbol of rebirth. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So all those elements are there. And maybe looking at it through that sort of lens makes it a little more interesting. But it's hard when I think we talked a bit before, but it, neither of us really felt excited or attached or Ransom didn't really resonate with us. No, it just didn't. Let's talk about some of the groups, some of the aliens that Ransom met along the way on Mars or Malachondria. One of my favorites, I don't know if we ever met him or not, but the Fiffle Triggs. Fiffle? Oh, yeah. Fiffle. I don't know how to say it either. Piff Trigi or Trigi? Fiff Trigi? Fiffle. P F I F E R I G I. Little triggies. I feel like we wouldn't. This wouldn't really be life, death, sci-fi if we didn't have one or two I things. That we we're sure. Bless you. That we weren't sure how to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. True. That's true. <laughs> Authors are the worst, but characters or peoples, piffle triggies, they lay eggs. So uh, yeah, not mammals, Martians. There's the sorn kind yeah. of. Uh, Spidery, tall. Yeah, he describes them as giants, ogres, ghosts, skeletons. Well, this is early on. Yeah. He was spooked by spooks on stilts, he said to himself. Surrealistic boy men with their long faces. Ooh. Um, that, that seemed to be, those, those guys, the, the Sorens or Soroni, um, seemed to be the most, let's say, kind of like a stereotypical or that early 20th century portrayal of aliens. These kind mm -hmm. of almost like long spidery, mm -hmm. you know, with long heads, right? Mm -hmm. that, are, that are sort of humanoid, but like something, so almost insect. I think this is why, or one of the reasons why we did these in chronological order. I think we wanted to find that kind of stuff. Hey, where is our idea of how an alien looks come from? Where did that idea come from? And you just pointed out one example that could be traced back to this book. A fun side note with Token that this whole book was created out of a bet between he and his buddy Token that Lewis was supposed to write a space travel book and Tolkien would write a time travel. And then I guess Tolkien never followed through. Where's that <laughs> time travel book? Which is unfortunate. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think authors get around, they're playing poker, trading plots and stories. Yeah, I think I can see that happen. I think it happens more often than we know. They had that club, the the Inklings. Yeah, Inklings? Yeah, a, yeah, it was called the Inklings. And they had a, they would get together. I think there were other people involved as well. And they would read books, just read books and talk about them, kind of like we're doing here. Yeah. Um, okay. I think they shared some of their writing, or at least Lewis. I mean, those guys were really good friends. And so they, uh, I, I think, read each other's work and kind of commented on it. Uh -huh. 
So like early podcasts, the Inklings, it's hard to say. Yeah, they probably would have a podcast, maybe. <laughs> we had one other group of characters, the Herosa, and they resembled otters or seals. I thought, I don't know if it was really made as clear to me as it could have been. That's something I, I would have liked to have, for him to have fleshed out a bit. Like what exactly he was saying about these three groups of people. So the Piftrigi, or how we pronounce that, they're tinkers and makers of things, right? Mm. They, yeah, anything they, uh, you want done, don't ask they, me. Go talk to them. Yeah, they can make it. Then the Sorns were, at first I thought maybe warrior types. At least it seems that they, they could be. There's no real fighting on this planet. They live harmoniously. No. I, and they seem I to saw be the them as I saw them as intelligentsia. Yeah. Somebody who other groups would come and confer with and ask advice of. Isn't that how Ransom got sent to them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're almost like the, the Vulcans of this planet or something, right? Oh, okay. Like hyper logical wise. And, and then we've got the Heros, which I thought were maybe the most interesting. And I'm just not sure what Lewis was trying to, to say, but they seem in some ways almost like simple folk. And yet they're great poets. Great poets. Yeah. They're artists and they just... I like the artists. Yeah. I like that. I imagine them maybe not in the trees like Ewoks. They seem Ewok-like to me. And I, I thought that the one that he really befriends, the Herosa, gave me a, a Chewbacca vibe. Yeah. I agree. I, I totally agree. It was my favorite. And I think our hero spent the most time with them, learned the most from them, I think. So... Wouldn't, wouldn't this have been fun if they could have swapped out, if we could have had Han Solo instead of Ransom? I, I like course, where I you're going with this. Maybe his, um, maybe Han Solo is more like a divine character, though. His motivations are off. Yeah. I Yeah. I see Star Wars as the big battle between the light and the dark, the good and the evil kind of thing. And I, I don't know if that was here. I think it was... Here are these beings on the planet, and these interrupters come and then are told to leave. Everything's harmonious because everybody on this planet follows Oyorse, this mm. this um, being of ultimately light in some ways. It seems to almost surround the planet. We see that as he's leaving in the end. And so that's obviously meant to be this godlike figure, and everything's harmonious if everyone follows what Oyorsa says. They keep mentioning that the bent one, if somebody is not living correctly or, or straight, let's say, then they're bent. And it was a lot of fun how they kept referring to divine, right? As the bent one. It was um, perfect because the guy was obviously bent and then physically he was bent. Then instead of destroying the bent one, they just sent him away. I I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, and I, I thought the idea, maybe relating to the Christian, this biblical concept that he, they kept talking about, there's this also greater bent one on earth that everybody's following. And it just seemed to me that was the implication there was that it was like Satan or Lucifer, right? The sort of fallen angel that was an Oriorsa type, but it had seemed to have this power over the people on earth yeah uh, i kind yeah i 
I couldn't get the image, political images out of my mind when I read that part. I thought, oh, yeah, that's happening on Earth right now. Hasn't changed much. Yeah, yeah, and it seems to, there's a few passages, but there was a couple parts, too, where it seemed to suggest there was an apocalypse right down uh, at this in the offing if things don't change. I guess one other character I, I enjoyed, I like this, I don't know, and I didn't look up this name, Al Gray who was the Sorn he met, who took him on the last part yes. of his journey. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah. Uh, there uh, was some surprises in this part that I didn't see coming. I thought I saw lots of stuff coming, but I like this character. Yeah, I like the idea of the scene and the, well, they're in this, he kind of rides this cave and he's, it's so high up that he can't really breathe. He's, yeah, he's, he's on his, his journey. He's trying to seek some answers. He has to go over the mountains that reach into the outer atmosphere, and there isn't much to breathe. So he's dying. He's going to die. And this ogre um, has these little, at the piffletregs, come to the rescue. Yeah, they've created these oxygen sort of bags, and he's able to to breathe up there. Ogre plays a mentor role and teaches him some things and gives him some food, and, and in particular some cheese, which is like cheese, <laughs> really? Uh, cheese on stuff. Mars. Strong Gotta drink have it. and cheese. Yeah. Smooth brown substance revealed itself to nose, eye, and palate in defiance of all probability as cheese. And then I thought it was really cool. This reminded me of some, maybe some children's book. I don't know if it's like where the wild things are, or I don't know what the sci-fi equivalent would be, but I, I loved how he's carried down. He's like riding on the shoulders of this sword. That happened in the... Tolkien trilogies with the Ent and one of the Hobbits. I can't remember. He was he had talked to the Ents and said, "Look, you got to help us." And so this Ent carried him to one of the battle scenes. Remember that? Uh, That's another place where they got together and said, "Okay, let's have these characters carry our guys around." I don't know. What does that mean? Is he, is he, in some ways, he's let go in some sense of his own agency and struggles and is it symbolic of him giving in as he starts to accept uh, help? Yeah, and accept their way on this planet. Ransom leaves changed and believes that this is the better way, unlike the other humans. True. Okay. Yeah, but see, I'm not loving that idea. I can read it and feel it but then that's one of the places where yeah. i just don't have strong feelings one way or the other i don't think i would recommend this i think i would only recommend it if somebody was doing what we were doing and trying to work through things chronologically yeah i i think look at it from some kind of historical perspective and i like the part where you said hey this is where maybe we got the idea of what aliens look like that makes sense to me. That's the thing that I was looking for. Haven't found a lot of it. Struggled through philosophies to get there. And okay. 
one of the things we do here at Life Death Sci-Fi is talk about the devices that we find, the communicators, the phasers, the spaceships, that kind of stuff. Is that what we're talking about here? I, I think it's usually something to do with a, a technological device. In this story, it was hard to find. I stretched it a bit. First device is the voyage itself. How can you take a voyage into space without a spaceship? You described the spaceship better than I could earlier in the podcast. What I think about the voyage and the spaceship when I remember it is the description about what our hero sees. It's beautiful, dangerous, and in the end, like you said, life-changing. My first device. Yes? Yeah, that's my first. For me, probably the... I guess the only one, you got these oxygen bags that could work. You've got what, these sort of glasses he wears, these shades, but I mean, mm -hmm. those just seem like mm -hmm. strong sunglasses. I think it's, I think it's, and maybe that's part of the struggle here. We love sci-fi and it's how much of that do we really get here? Coming from the other side, I just watched Halo. This is a series that Paramount Plus has brought out. And it is born out of a video game. How much more technological can you get? And of course, the whole thing is about technology. And finally, in the third or fourth episode, we see what Halo is. And it is Ringworld. We've read that book and spent some time on... Ooh, What's the author's name for Ring World? Yeah, Larry Niven. Or yeah, Larry Larry Niven. Or I, in my head, I say Niven. Awesome. And we only got we only spent a little time in that story. What we're missing is this technology that a hundred years ago they were struggling to come up with. My second device. How are these characters even living on Mars? the biosphere in the cracks or crevices that we can see. I thought, we're really clever. Yeah, I like that. That was a great idea. And again, would like to spend some time there, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And my third one, the engine of the spaceship. I'm always fascinated with what uh, ideas people can come up with to warp drive. That's been with us, with me my whole life warp drives, that kind of thing. And here it was solar radiation. And I thought C.S. Lewis, the author, kind of wimped out on this when he said, and I'm responding to the text in the book, although I am just an unscientific person, that's what he said in the book, you won't understand this, who is not one of the five real physicists now living I'd like to time travel, fact check that. And I'm told I just won't understand. I didn't like being told I can't understand something when you're just not willing to write a little bit more explanation about something. That's what I thought. My belief was not suspended. I don't think they're getting to Mars in a solar <laughs> radiation ship. Yeah, I didn't mind that as a writer's sort of ploy to get around writing about something he couldn't really write about. Yeah, it reminds me of the ending here. Wait, one other one other sci-fi device that I, I don't know if it's exactly sci-fi, but something interesting that was different on this planet is the the Herosa live in these beehive-shaped 
huts. Okay. And I thought that was interesting. I think there's a lot to be made of the sort of beehive in that it really maximizes space in a way that's really, they're both aesthetic in their own way and yet also really utilize space well. And it's symbolically something for industriousness, uh, good behavior. It gets us back right? to the beavers. I, you know, yeah. I got the feeling that this whole thing was just a warm-up for the world of lion, witch, in the wardrobe. It felt like that to me. And, I, and because I read that first, I couldn't go back. But beehives, now I'm thinking geodesic domes. That would be technological, cool science fiction. Yeah. Clearly, it's this draft. It, it almost seems like he's playing around or he just didn't take this as seriously as maybe some later works. Did you notice the epigraph? He says to my brother, W-H-L, <laughs> W dot H dot L dot, a, long, a lifelong critic of the space and time story. Oh. So it seems like he's just trying to write something to experiment or just to prove that it could be interesting, maybe. Yeah, more power to him. I get it. But yeah, that's enough. He, it's a trilogy, and the first book was all I'm going for. That's it. Yeah, I'm curious as to what the other ones are about, but yeah, I don't see myself reading the next two. Yeah. <laughs> might look into what they're about. I wouldn't mind rereading uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Before I did that again, I'd like to skim over some of his religious texts. I had no idea how powerful his books were in this area. I think mere Christianity is a is an interesting read. It's, it's making an argument for it. It's been too long. I just remember it being like, I was trying to take a rational approach to it there as best he can. And yeah, it seems like people find it convincing. Yeah, I was shocked. Okay, we're getting near the end time here. Maybe start a party. Yeah, so when... Um, yeah, when you're, uh, I don't know if we're in most Eisley, but maybe we're on the, on the top of a mountain with what our friend here, Agre, eating some. That was really one of my favorite parts. I, I thought he was going to perish on the mountain, and then he got snatched out of the jaws of death. It, it's, his whole thinking seems to flip there. I, I like, there was one other moment there that I meant to mention where he's, he kind of walk up this sort of staircase into this upper kind of cave and they're you can, they're looking out it's almost like this maybe that's a sort of sci-fi device there's this sort of almost like a telescope the way that the the room right. is shaped it works like a telescope and they're able to see earth and it's really upside down now that there is an upper downside but the way that we yeah. typically it's portrayed and at that moment like his whole world view seems to get flipped upside down perfect uh, that was a super focus for him. He couldn't look at any of the other stars, planets, or anything. It was just that. And it was personal. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. And well, I guess before we get to the, yeah, the cocktail piece, too, I mean, I think one other just reinforces what we've been saying, just the fact that he named this out of the silent planet. I mean, he didn't call it Malacandra. The title of the book was a reference to Earth, and that's because he seemed to have Earth on his mind as much as Mars, I think, when mm -hmm. writing this. 
So anyway, when we're when you're hanging out with our buddy Agre on the top of a mountain, occasionally sucking on your oxygen bath, taking bites of a, a smooth brown <laughs> substance. That's bring my own cheese. Yeah, some your, cheddar. I'll share with him. With your, oh your strong, <laughs> your strong drink, uh, whatever drink it is that they have there, and, and divine is passed out somewhere in the corner. What will you be talking? What will you be talking about? Yeah. Yeah. One of the first things I'm going to do is invent the warp drive so they can make their trip a little easier. Hmm. Honestly, once we got back to Earth and things were explained by C.S. Lewis, that whole epilogue thing, I was happy to walk away, really. This is a cocktail party that I might just say i have something to do and i really have to i'll tell you what i'd be talking about i i I, (laughs) three three sci-fi films that i that i've enjoyed this year so okay all right i for different reasons i guess one not quite as much as the others but i guess i'd still recommend it i absolutely loved everything everywhere all at once Okay, I looked for that the other night, and I'm going to find it. Yeah, this is that uh, Michelle, yeah. She runs this, like, laundromat, and some strange things start to happen. And this is, without, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's really, she ends up realizing there's all these alternative, alternate universes. And they start to intermix, and she's able to move between those in some way. And uh, it's just, it's really clever. I think the, the, the way that those multi universes are spliced together and the, there's some real humor in the different universes. And one okay. of them, she's got, everybody's got sausage fingers. It's just oh, totally no. ridiculous, but it's, but it ulti- ultimately there's some heartwarming kind of aspects to it. And it's just a real kind of romp full of adventure, lots of action. And for somebody like the two of us who spent a lot of time in China, the way that they, the way that Chinese culture and relationships within Chinese culture is portrayed just seems so so right on based on my experience. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, the other two, real quick, The Adam Project, Full Action, and then Moonfalls for a rom-com. I started to, I clicked on Moonfall, but I was in the wrong place. Like they wanted me to pay for it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oh. follow your recommendations on this. I'll just say that's my, of the three I mentioned, that's my... The, the my least favorite, although least it's favorite. fun. It's a little kind of goes a bit of a it's a kind of a teenage ish kind of vibe to it. But the Adam Project, time travel, action. Yeah, that lots was of fun. fun there. I saw that. Yeah, it was fun. To wrap it up here, I think our struggle is over for our reading because our next book is one of our favorites, Ray Bradbury's Yes, The Martian Chronicles. I've been thinking about this and how it fits with what we've been talking about. You said it before that we might not find many devices in this book either. Oh, oh no, I, I, think so. I think so. I think so. Really? It's been a few years. Yeah, yeah. Thinking back. I think one of the, the things that's hinted at here is a sort of kind of a telepathy, right? Yes. And that's something that, yeah, yes. that comes up. And yes. uh, that was in this book a little bit too, or these whispering uh, light creatures. What are they called? The El... El Deal. El Deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, 
All right. Hey, it's always great to hear your voice. Glad we made this happen. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Bye-bye.